Hey there, welcome to SaaS Inbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Nadena, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business success. And today with me is Dean McPherson, co-founder at Paperform, a flexible online form builder and double automatic step-by-step guide creator. Both companies are completely bootstrapped and run by Dean and his wife, Dioni. So kind of a family business, and I'm very excited to uh, learn everything about it, how you're making it happen uh, with your wife. So great to see you here. Great to be here. Um, okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Sure. Well, uh, I guess let's first start with your background and how you got here in the first place. Sure. So how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> um, <laughs> Not too yeah. far. <laughs> so, well, like you mentioned, I run uh, Paperform and Double with my wife, Dioni. Uh, we were married. Uh, I was around 27 or so when we started Paperform. Uh, so this was well, coming up on seven years ago. Uh, I was working as a programmer for another startup and Dioni was working in, it was kind of like a project management role at uh, Google Arts and Culture here in Sydney, and we're both pretty sick of working for other people and had this crazy idea of what would it look like if we started a, a software company, you know, put a product up online and hopefully make enough money to pay the bills and work from home with just the two of us. Uh, and that was really the, the dream when we first started Paperform was, hey, maybe somebody will pay us enough money that we can not work for other people and we can own something ourselves. Yeah, so that's that was the beginning of Paperform, yeah, mid-2016. Okay. All right. That's a great idea. Let's just not work for people. <laughs> Let's start something. So where did the inspiration come from? Sure. Paperform, yeah. not just anything. Yeah. So Paperform was a couple of years, I think, uh, coming together in the background. So uh, my first job out of university, so I, I, I'm not a technical by study. I, I, I'm an undergrad in music and philosophy. Um, okay. And that's a big graduated change. And needed to get a job. Um, so talked to myself into a junior web development role, but at the company that I was, my first job was at was, uh, we made forms essentially for, uh, like local government, uh, small to medium enterprise, uh, we were a services based company and really we in a space that was called enterprise mobility, which is just really forms for mobile devices. So this was like, I don't know, 2012, maybe 2013. So like iPhone two. Era, okay. so, and, and our, you know, the, our entire business was essentially going into any any business that had uh, a remote a, a remote workforce in terms of an, a workforce that was actually out in the field somewhere that was still you know taking down notes on paper, doing reports, doing audits, that kind of thing. We would go in and we'd transform all those processes into on, to digital forms that you'd fill out on a mobile device or an iPad, and then integrate with all those backend systems. So anyway, I, I was working in the form space. Um, but really the other end of the form space, uh, which is, you know, very kind of business focused, very enterprisey. Uh, but while I was working there, I had a friend come to me and he asked me to, he knew I made forms, but he wasn't a programmer and he runs a week long, uh, kids program in the school holidays here in Sydney. And he'd been running it for five or six years before he came to me. Uh, but he asked me to make a registration form for it because, or, or to find him something that he could just buy off the shelf and use. So when he asked me to do that, I went and looked at every, you know, all the popular form builders in the market. And he had a really specific set of requirements where he needed to capture quite a fair bit of information. So if you're registering kids for this program, then you need to ask parent guardian information. 
dietary requirements, add some medication, 20 or 30 questions per child. Uh, parents would like to send multiple children. So had this requirement of can, can we capture multiple children at the same time? And the form needed to take payments because that was really the big process. Before this, you know, it was quite similar to the work I was actually doing in my day job where it was taking registrations with people would fill out a piece of paper and they'd pay cash. And that worked fine when there were like 20 or 30 kids, but the program had scaled to, you know, they had like 150 kids per right. every time they ran that. And that just became this administrational nightmare where people would forget to pay cash. They wouldn't pay enough. They'd pay too much. You need to track everything and then write it all up and put it in a spreadsheet at the end of the day. So you can actually run your program, know all of that information. So transforming that process into a digital form made all the sense in the world for him. But when he asked me to do that, I looked at everything that was out there and there was nothing that I really felt comfortable recommending for him. So I ended up building him just this custom form that every year he would come to me and say, Hey, we're got to change the details to this event it's called this year. We're taking this many kids as the cost has changed. We need to change the dates in the email. And inevitably, like when you do any kind of client work like that, it just, you, you screw something up. You get the call an hour after the, it's been announced and have to quickly go and fix something. Um, but really that planted the idea in my head that while there was, you know, 10, 20, 30 form builders in the market that were all very well established when we launched in 2016, there was nothing that I still felt personally comfortable recommending to a friend to use for this use case. Um, you know, all the, all the products on the market at the time were, were kind of fit into one or two buckets. One was, you know, you had kind of the type forms of the world that were really quite beautiful experiences, but, but only really good at one question at a time, survey quiz style forms. One question at a time is a really great experience if you're only capturing five to 10 questions, but if you've got to capture 20 questions per child and you've got to fill that out for the four child, children in a row, and you've got you know, 90, 100 questions, one yeah. question at a time all of a sudden is a horrible experience because you just, you don't have any idea of where you are. You don't know, you don't know when it's going to end. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's not ideal. And then on the other end, you have these kind of, these legacy kind of first gen form builders that had been around since like 2006, 2007, like your Wufus and your Jot Forms and your uh, form stacks. And, and they were a bit of a kitchen sink approach to form building where they, they had all this functionality, but none of it was either, you know, worked the way you expected it to or looked great or really represented your brand well. So, you know, the idea for paper form when we set out to build it in mid-2016 was we knew there was this really concrete use case from my friend Chris. Uh, so it was like, what, how can we solve that specific problem? But we also knew that there was a general problem in the, in the marketplace where at the, you had to really choose between did you want your form to look good or did you want your form to actually be able to do all the things that you need to do? So we, we really wanted to sit in the, in the between there and give you both. Okay, that's a great story. Well, we talked about this quite a lot uh, with a few founders. You, you kind of take this unsexy business problem that's not very, um, I don't know, it doesn't come on top of your head, like kind of immediately when you think about a, a possible profitable business and just make it happen, make it beautiful and uh, just bring the best experience out there. But it's one thing, uh, as we all know, to build a product. It's a totally different one to sell it, right? Uh, to, yeah, to find a market. And you had your first trial customer and he was happy. How did it go from there? How did you become what yeah, performers now? That's a great question. So we actually launched, uh, we ran an AppSumo deal. So you know, we built this early version of the product. We we're both still working full time. I put it up on beta list, uh, just to see if anybody wanted to use it at all. And we had 
like two or 300 beta users sign up and, and kick the tires of the product. Uh, it wasn't particularly useful in terms of like formal beta feedback because the kind of people that sign up on a site like beta list aren't really, well, they're probably not your target customer. They're not the kind of person that actually wants to use that product in their business. So we got a lot of general, not particularly useful feedback. But through that, AppSumo saw us and reached out and said, hey, we really like what you're building. You know, it's, it's a general business tool. So it really sits in their lane of things that are going to be generally uh, desirable for people to buy in a lifetime deal. Um, but anyway, they reached out and said, we think it would do really, really well. Would you be interested in running a lifetime deal? And we hadn't done any, any sales at all on Paperform at all. So we were like, this is actually a really fantastic way for us to launch the business. We'll either sell lots and it proves that, you know, maybe we've got a business here or it'll just flop and we'll continue with our day jobs. So December 2016, could happen. Well, you don't know, when you're only launching your first business, you put some, some code you've written on your 13 inch MacBook Air up on the internet and said, hey, does anybody want to try this out? And you don't know if anybody's yeah. going to buy it. There be silence. Um, <laughs> there just be silence. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, end of 2016, we launched on AppSumo. We actually launched on Product Hunt at the same time. Uh, somebody who bought the AppSumo deal listed us uh, without telling us. So we, we ended up having this quite quite a big push in early December 2016, where all of this noise happened all of a sudden. And uh, we ended up selling close to 3,000 lifetime deals, uh, oh, which cool. gave us the cash that we needed to uh, really bridge the gap between uh, where our MRI was hopefully going to grow to and, you know, we needed to live. <laughs> so okay. the AppSumo deal was kind of like our seed funding and also gave us people in the product. Okay. So um, that was, that was fast. How long did it take, uh, to go from that one initial customer to two, 3000 life de lifetime deals? Uh, so we had, we launched in two weeks, we sold three, 3000 lifetime okay. deals. There are a lot, they're back, they were really short campaigns back then, you know, so it was like a two week fixed campaign. Um, and we went from nothing, well, no paid customers to from like, you know, 300 beta customers who'd signed up from beta list to all these people in the product screaming at us to fix things and make things better and <laughs> add features and, um, yeah, great way to, to launch a business. Right. Okay. That's a great story, I think. Uh, so, okay. You've got this swarm of people trying your product and paying for it and obviously wanting something from you because, well, there are so many cases of using your product. Um, how did you start navigating from there? Because I think the, the roadmap uh, building is, is something that a lot of founders are struggling with. Like, who do you listen to? Uh, there is a bit of a bigger customer, maybe then he is the boss. We need to build for him first. Or, you know, uh, then we have such a scope of smaller customers that it wouldn't make sense for them. So how to navigate this, how to balance your customers' desires and your personal vision of the product. How did you do it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this is one of the things I think we actually, uh, we lucked our way into a little bit. Um, <laughs> so because we started out with these ambitions of, we just wanted it to pay the bills. We explicitly targeted, I suppose, the small to medium business market. We weren't interested in any enterprise businesses really up until, you know, the last year or two. We've just told businesses that they get over a certain size that have a certain set of requirements just to go away. Um, but what that meant was that you know, we, had, we had this, there was no, some customers are more valuable than others in terms of feedback. It was all of these customers. 
Um, but really, in that in that first year of, of of after launch, we'd added all of these all of these users, and it was actually really really easy to prioritize what needed to be done because because we're in an existing market where people were generally moving from another form builder. They have actually really strong ideas about what they need out of the product, and one of the fun things about that deal community is they're very vocal about what, what they want. It can be a, a bad thing if you're not used to negative feedback and if you're not used to people pushing to get their way, but it can be actually a really valuable thing in that they don't hide behind their words and, and, they, and they say what they want. Uh, yeah. So prioritization for that first year was actually really easy because we launched with quite a, it was a really beautiful, usable product, but you couldn't do a whole lot with it. There was a lot of stuff missing. That was, you know, very common table stakes for the form building market. Um, so prioritization for the first year was just like, who's, how many people are screaming for this thing? Let's build it in that order. Um, but then in terms of the exact, uh, over time, what we actually build from what gets requested changes because, you know, when you first launch a product, there's like, can, you know, it's a form building product. Can you send an email on form submission? Okay, we're going to add something around so you can send an email on form submission. That's an obvious feature to add. Uh, but then as, as you kind of get those obvious features out of the way, you still get those requirements coming through, but they still but the requirements uh, are way less defined or people come with a really a really explicit description of the kind of feature that they want, um, but it may not necessarily fit the product. Um, so I think that's where I suppose more the, the product manager work comes out of how do you collate what those needs are and actually group them into a solution that fits uh, both the product and solves that problem for the customer, uh, which, yeah, I don't really have any great advice on, on how to do that well. <laughs> I, th I think uh, doing support is probably the best advice I have for that, actually, because uh, if you're abstracted away from actually talking to your customers uh, day in, day out, then it's, it's way harder to understand what those requirements mean and how important they are. Because a lot of people just throw out feature requests just on a whim or they had, they had, a, had an idea. But some people just really, really need features as well. So understanding how important it is to the customer uh, will give you a pretty good indicator of, of how important it is to get it in your product. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, dynamics of communicating with your customers, because uh, on one day you are kind of building your product and you're communicating with your customer uh, that your friend who, you know, specifically uh, asks you for something. And then the next day you got 3000 of them. And sometimes I feel like at a certain point of founder's life, especially if it's a teeny tiny team, everything else stops. You just have to talk to your customers and that's it. Uh, so how did it go for you? What was kind of the, the ratio of time that you allocated to um, talking to your customers, building something, I don't know, maybe uh, doing something on, on promoting the product and marketing and, and going to market and finding your niche? Yeah, absolutely. So in those early years, it was, so it was just Dionne and I for the first two years. So it all had to be done <laughs> by the two of us. The way that, that generally split out was Dionne ended up doing a lot of, I suppose, first, first pass support. So she would do all the general inquiries that come in. And then if it got too technical or she needed, you know, yeah, to escalate it to somebody who built the product, <laughs> then, it would, then it would get passed over to me. So <laughs> that, that worked out to probably be... Can you do this? I'm just like passing you the it's bell. Like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Just, just take it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that worked out. Uh, you know, probably most days was probably an hour of support, something like that for for me. 
very early on when we first launched, we were very, and to this day, so one of the things we actually pride ourselves in is, is, is very good customer support. So we have 24, five, <laughs> so through business, through the business week where we have somebody on all day, every day, um, across the world. So we have generally live first response support available. Uh, that's something we actually kind of tried to do with just Gianni and I in the first little while we, we ended up when we launched, we took shifts every three hours oh, wow. we would wake up and just clear the inbox, just make sure there was nothing super urgent there. Um, just to make sure that we was, because one of the funny things is, you know, we're obviously based in Australia. Um, yeah. so our primary markets, the U S which is they, their business days starts at 2 AM here or something yeah. like that. Um, so, so really just making sure that we weren't missing anything hypercritical that we hadn't released a, a bug or we hadn't <laughs> broken anything or, um, yeah, anyway, that was one of the things that we, we tried to do a lot of early on. Uh, obviously we couldn't hold that up indefinitely. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades, all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. All right. Talk about bootstrapper mentality. <laughs> really ready to jump in there, in the trenches at all times. Super cool. Um, all right. Now you've got a couple more new products. There is Double, uh, which is a completely new product, like a completely different apart yeah. from uh, paper form. And there is paper sign. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I want to ask you about, let, let's maybe start with, uh, with paper sign because we're still on paper form and paper form is in a very competitive market. Like you said, when you entered it, there were quite a bit of big players already. So, um, how did you know that there is still space for a new product and now with paper sign competing potentially with giants like DocuSign? Same question. How did you think that, you know, uh, we could still make it there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so paper signs a really interesting product for us. Cause it's, a, I mean, I mean, under the paper form company, it's, it's really us, it's our second product in the market. It's com a completely new thing for us to try. Uh, but, but strategically it really fits into a, into a longer narrative, uh, for what we're doing at paper form. So historically we, we entered into the form building market, but paper form has evolved into being something that's, you know, a far more general purpose tool. People use this for not just your contact form, but for event registration, client onboarding. People ended up trying to hack paper form to do stuff like contracts. Uh, it was essentially where the, the idea of paper sign came from. We, we have a very rudimentary PDF creation tool inside of paper form, and people were trying to use that to generate contracts and get them legally signed. Uh, and we saw this as like, you know, when people start trying to hack around the edges of your product to get a job done, 
that's a pretty good indicator that there might be yeah. there might be something worth exploring there. But long term, I suppose the way we're, we're seeing paper form grow is, is really uh, to be more of a, a full digital Swiss Army knife, a, a general automation tool that can solve a bunch of purposes, a bunch of use cases in your business. So it's so a paper form, paper sign, and then some more products down the line are really the, the building blocks of a platform. Um, so in some ways, we, we think about paper, paper sign as, yes, we are bringing in a new e-signature tool, which is entering into this very competitive space. But it's actually, its value prop in the long run is, is that it's a part of this ecosystem. Uh, so okay. that, doesn't, that doesn't mean it doesn't compete by, by itself. We've, we've built a very, very good tool uh, that, that does the job very well and, and we think um, is, is, is worth merit completely by itself to, to sign up and use. Uh, but in some ways, if, if it doesn't take off and be the next DocuSign, that doesn't particularly matter to us because really it's just a building block in the long-term strategy. Yeah, so there are more sense. products coming. Is that is that an announcement Probably. that we're Probably. making here? Okay, Probably perfect. More, more It'll be a little while. <laughs> okay, all right. Excited to to see what you're building next. Uh, all right, then uh, let's talk double. So that's the third product so far. Yeah. Um, so what is double? Can you talk a little bit about it? And again, where did the inspiration come from, and how does it fit in the paper form universe or outside of it? Yes. So, so Double is not inside the paper form universe at all. Double started um, around the beginning of last year, I think. So we'd worked to this stage, we'd, we'd ended up hiring, you know, as, as the company has grown, I, I started as, as the, the sole developer and we've ended up growing a very fantastic technical team. And because I'm, you know, a founder and I have founder responsibilities, you know, and now we now formally co-CEO, my wife and I, and that just means that I often just get pulled in very crazy different directions. And it means that no, no core business processes should really depend on me. <laughs> Otherwise everything could just, yeah. you know, come to a stop all the time. Uh, and what that looks like from the, from the technical side is that I try not to get in, in the way of the technical team by being on the tools too much. And <laughs> because, you know, if, if they're waiting on me to review some code or to, to finish a piece of work, then things might just stop. Um, what that meant was that we'd grown a team and I, I was kind of missing programming. So double really just started as a, I just wanted to build something just, that was, that was like low stakes. It wasn't going to affect our core product. wasn't going to affect our core business. I, I nearly didn't even release it to anybody. I really just, I built it on, on a whim of this might be something that, that we would find handy internally at paper form. Um, but then once you've built a product and it's sitting there, you, you kind of have to release it. So it's, it's been this. <laughs> this constant journey of like started as, as a side coding project, which kind of became a side business. Uh, and now is just sitting in that state of, uh, I, I'm still working on it when I have the mental space to work on it, but, but it's, but paper form is still the, the primary <laughs> focus. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we were just uh, at this uh, technical conference in, in Hamburg called Talks, And that was one of the, um, one of the topics in one of the talks, um, how at a lot of times uh, coders actually don't release the product because they think it's not good enough, because it's not maybe ready, it's not uh, pixel perfect or anything like this. So a lot of um, a lot of products, a lot of projects are dumped and never see the light of day and never become a company. So. Do you maybe have anything to say to the coders, to the developers about that? Uh, what does it take to 
take product to the next level, to make it a business, to uh, to show um, it to somebody and just get going. Yeah, look, I think you, you have to ship it. Like there's no way around, you know, shipping it. I mean, there's so much early startup advice around just getting your product live, even talking about your product before you built it. <laughs> the sooner you can get into customers' minds, the better. The, the longer you build something in the dark without anybody touching it, the, the more likely that when you release it, nobody's actually going to care because you're going to have built something which nobody wants. So actually just just releasing, you know, tell, tell somebody on Twitter. <laughs> it can be as simple as that. Just start talking about it, start shipping it out. And then... I suppose going from from products to to business is is quite a transition. Um, there's a lot there's a lot of resources out there, but but I think yeah, it's something I think about a lot, especially with the more programmers I, I work with on a day to day basis. There's like you you, are, you have to want to be more than just a on the tools coder as well, because founder life isn't making things all the time. You don't just spend eight hours a day coding, <laughs> and yeah. and if that's what you want to do, you're probably better off just having a nice job because there's plenty of those around for competent people who know how to make things. Um, but the rest of it's really fun as well, if you're willing to take the leap. Right. Okay. That's a great answer. Thank you so much. Uh, and yeah, let's talk about your uh, personal dynamic in the company, because this is also something that we talk a lot at SaaS Group because we, we talk to founders and at a lot of times founders also CTO, they are coding. At times when we get to technical due diligence, we see that, you know, oh, you know, uh, you're not clearly a CTO, you're not clearly a CEO, but you're uh, just kind of micromanaging everything. Uh, and well, whatever falls onto your developers, that's what they are doing, but you're the kind of the main star of the show. So uh, as far as I understand, you are trying to make yourself obsolete. Uh, you try to um, delegate a lot to your to your team and empower them to to act on their own. And again, I wanted to ask how, how you're doing it, how you're structuring your work with the team, how big is the team and what is the strategy there? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something, but I think it um it really, at least for me, it really ebbs and flows. It kind of comes and goes about how on the tools I am, how involved I am with what's getting shipped on a day to day basis, which is probably just speaks more about me than my team. So dev team uh, at product team we're about four, four or five, five including me, four, four devs. Uh, but from early on, so like 2019, our, our first employee, just about our first employee, was a. Uh, my brother-in-law, who's a developer, who's now, so he's now our dev lead. So he's really stepped into that kind of team management timelines. What are we shipping? When are we shipping? Is everything spec'd yeah. correctly? Management role, which is something that, you know, I'm not particularly suited for. I'm not well-skilled at that and he's fantastic at it. So my real role in, in Paperform product now is really, you know, strategy. And then I'll comment on execution. So I'll make sure know, particularly that we're making things feel like our products, you know, that we're, we're paying attention to UX and we're not just shipping the first draft of something that, could, that gets out and making just making sure the quality bar is, is exactly where it needs to be. But that being said, you know, there are still times, you know, paper sign, for example, we're, we're launching a whole new product. I was heavily involved in making sure that that went out. I was on the tools, making sure that <laughs> that represented our, our brand very well because it's our, it's our first whole new product in the market. Uh, but then on, on day to day, Outside of that, then there might be weeks where I'd, I'd, I barely have any interaction with the dev team at all. Um, so 
when we're in business as usual mode, then I think we've done a pretty good job at that. In, in terms of how to do that, I think you just need to find somebody who you trust to do that well, which is hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard, hard yeah. to find somebody, especially, you know, if it's your first business and it's your baby a little bit and, um, and, uh, you need to be able to appreciate others for the skills that they bring to the table to a degree, because it's a little bit, I think, I think there are a lot of technical founders who have built a product from the ground up that go, I can do it all. When in reality, right. there, there are people that are, that are far better at, at doing pieces of that than, than you are. And really you need to figure out how you can cut that up into, into roles that cut up what you do into roles that other people can do well so that you can outsource that and, and let it go without, you know, Absolutely. micromanaging. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, since we started talking about the team, I mean, you've got this unique kind of case scenario. Uh, your co-founder is also your wife. Uh, so did you, how do you manage uh, the work-life balance? Because I also, I wouldn't remember correctly, you also have four kids? We have four kids, yes. You have four kids. Okay. So <laughs> recently I've been um, talking to founders that are like two successful businesses, families, four kids, two, two kids, full-time jobs. You know, like, where do you get the time? But <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, your wife is your co-founder. How do you balance that out? And is there any values that through your partnership, you also project onto the company culture? Oh, absolutely. Great question. Uh, so this is, this is the most common question we get, we get asked by every person who finds out that we run a business together. Yeah. So where does start? In, in general, so in terms of the whole work-life balance thing, I think that's the crunch of it is, you know, we've, we've obviously got four kids. Uh, we're actually, this is, this is news for the podcast. We're, we're expecting our fifth. Okay. <laughs> And they're all boys, so oh wow, okay. A lot of it's a lot of boys. Um, there, there, there could be like a dad joke about a football team, but um, yeah, not there yet. <laughs> a beautiful basketball team. I'm with basketball. <laughs> okay. Um. Anyway, I, I think one of the things for us is because we were set out, we set out to start the business together, uh, and we've got quite complementary skill sets. So inside the business, I think it works really, really well. Diony's very operationally minded. She's very good at people management. She, she's our COO. She's a CFO essentially as well. She does you know, everything, tax, legal, compliance. Um, she's very on top of it all. Um, and I'm obviously on the other end, very product and kind of growth marketing focused. So we have natural remits inside of the business where it's kind of very clear whose turf is whose turf. And that doesn't mean that we don't have input on each other's uh, remits, but we know, we, we know when it's, it's their decision to be made and, and we can just have yeah. input. So, so that's always worked really, really well in terms of how it breaks down, I suppose, on the, on the day to day basis, I, I think, uh, because we're both in the business, we kind of actually get around a lot of the tensions that a lot of, I think, early stage business founders, uh, have with their spouse of like, are you spending too much time working? You're thinking about the business all the time. What about me? What about the family? Because we're both in it. It just means that everything's kind of integrated. It means yeah. we go and grab a coffee and we, we talk about the business and the kids and we talk about, you know, everything's just all, all mixed up together. There's it's no all real life, like, right? There's no like 6.30 phone down. We never, we don't talk about the business after that or anything like that. There's, it's, it's just like 
any time of day at any place, we could be doing either either of those things. It works particularly well because we're a remote first business, so people generally work from home. Um, we do have okay. an office at the moment, but it's very it's very rarely used by anyone. Um, and, and that gives us, you know, a whole bunch of flexibility. Half of our team are dispersed around the world. So that means if it's 10 o'clock in the morning and we've got to take the kids to swimming lessons, we just do that. You know, it's, there's okay. no real problem there. So we have life very integrated both ways. <laughs> if, you, if you called me at 10 in the morning any day, I, there's very there's a very good chance I could be doing something very family-ish or there's a very good chance I could be doing something very work-ish. Uh, and the same is true for Dioni. Um Okay. So how does that tr translate into the team and especially in the fully remote team? Because again, kind of a hot topic lately, uh, do you, can you actually install culture in, in the team, in the company, or is it just kind of there and it's, it's good or it's not, but you do create the baseline and you kind of have the guidelines, but otherwise, you know, it just, uh, it grows as a society yeah no i i think i think I, we're actually really intentional with our culture so because we started with just the two of us and we established how people from ran we were remote first from day one we, we work largely mm -hmm. the same way we worked you know first year in the business uh in terms of lifestyle um but it, because we did that and then we extended that to our employees as we hired them with the expectation that yes you've got a set you know formal contract of hours to to achieve but where you achieve those yet <laughs> when you work you should really organize to suit you best uh, as long outside of like, you know, we've, we've set hours for meetings or <laughs> yeah, right. a few core hours overlap. So we, we've, you know, offered that kind of flexibility to our employees from day one. And I think by offering that, it's really, it, it attracts the right people to a degree. So a lot of the culture setting, I think, happens in the interview process, the kind of things that people are interested in that make them apply for the job, make it really apparent how they align, you know, with the way we run the business. Generally, the problem we have with our employees is, is you know, you, when you're responsible for managing your own time, it's easier to overwork than to underwork. So it's actually going, no, no, no. Just because I'm responding to a Slack message at 7.15 at night doesn't mean you should be. So making sure we've you set up mindful systems so that we don't put any pressure on people to, to work the way we do as well. Because some people do we just want to you know, turn up at 9 o'clock in the, in the morning and block off at 5 in the afternoon and say, I'm done. Right. So yeah, that's it's something we've worked really hard on. And then in, I suppose in terms of general company values, so we actually have a, a full set of company values on our about, about page. And this is what we take our employees through day one at paper form. But, you know, a, a lot of the values that were written down are really just Dionne and I's personal dynamic that we had to vocalize to each other and then vocalize to the team of saying, these are things that we actually really appreciate uh, in the way that we work together that we think mm -hmm. actually represents how our team should work together. Things like, you know, Arguing well is one of our core values, like not feeling, not hearing criticism as a personal attack, but as grounds for something to, to work together towards. Yeah. Anyway, look at our bad page. They're all there. It's yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I feel like it's very, uh, it, it's core to have just kind of a very clear expectations. Uh, of what you want to achieve. And for example, at SaaS Group, we have uh, people manuals. So you go to your team and we're 
also rapidly growing. So how do you know who you're working with and how to work with them? You just go to Notion page and you read through like when to approach them, where they're based. Like I'm in Vietnam, you know, you cannot really reach me in the afternoon in Germany, right? I'm just never going to respond. I'm sleeping. So like, so that you don't set wrong expectations of people and just not um, yeah, running around thinking, you know, something's wrong or yeah, something's not working. Uh, okay. Well, a couple more questions. Um, first one I wanted to ask you for a hack, any kind of hack that you are using for, for your business, for your time management. That's very, (laughs) that's very interesting. Um, for hiring, how you motivate maybe people to, to come work for you. Uh, something that might be not very conventional for others, but your go-to thing. Yeah. I think actually carrying on from that previous question, it's kind of our biggest hack in hiring, quite frankly, is the fact that not only do we have these, you know, those kind of standard remote business perks of you can work from home, but but because Dionne and I live them and we publicly live them inside of our company, like if you go to our, our random channel in Slack, there'll, there'll very well be a picture of our kid's latest drawing, <laughs> like at, that, we were, that we were doing at three in the afternoon or Dionne and I going down to the beach. Okay. <laughs> like there's, there's life integrated with work as well. Because we live that at work, uh, it makes it much easier for us to sell that uh, mm-hmm. to people when they're, when we're interviewing, uh, our head of growth, Dave, we were talking about this the other day and he's like, yeah, it's almost like when we're interviewing somebody, it, it, there's this one, one little thing in it and it sounds kind of funny, but there's this one thing that if it comes up in the interview, uh, we know we've got them. <laughs> and it's like, if they've got kids, as soon as somebody says they've got kids, it's like, we've got them. They're, they'll <laughs> they'll want to work here because, because we're in that funny dynamic where, you know, half of our team have young children. We're all in that kind of, in that state of trying to make this full-time work, this ambition drive happen. And all at the same time as, you know, we're we're doing drop-offs, we're doing pickups, we're looking after kids, we're we're juggling sick days. It's all just happening for everyone all the time. Um, And people want it and people love the camaraderie around that and are willing to, you know, maybe take a job that's not as high as as their ambitions may go or, you know, it's, we're not venture back level salaries or something mm-hmm. like that. But it's, it's a way better balance for where their life is at right now. Um, yeah. That's-, that's incredible. I think it's a great vision. Absolutely. I mean, parenting is stressful enough to just constantly tell your boss that, oh, you know, there's something else and worry that it's not going to fly. I mean, as a vision at Paper Form as a company is really, we this is actually our formal company vision is that we want to bring people from work back to life. And that's something that, you know, we, we set out to do it to achieve for ourselves, something we wanted to extend to our team and really what we want to do for our customers as well. That's really the end game is how can we just make your lives easier and you, so you don't have to think about this, this, at least this stuff anymore. You can go do something else that's important to you. Um, yeah. I was going somewhere with that, but I can't remember where. <laughs> Well, that, that's perfect. But, uh, well, maybe you were announcing that, that you're hiring somebody. We can do that. It would be <laughs> a great company to work for. Um, but yeah. And one more question, something that everyone gets, uh, the usual one so far, what has been the biggest win and the biggest failure for you as a founder or for the company? What has been the biggest win? Sorry. And the biggest failure. 
what's been the biggest win and the biggest failure? Oh, look, I think we have won. <laughs> I think for us, we set out with these, with these ambitions of we were sick of working for other people. We wanted to live life kind of on our own terms, be able to work from home, be able to have kids and, and see them while they're young. And that's been the, the biggest win is we've got four four kids and we get to see them all day, every day. We, we get to live with them. Uh, we get to enjoy them when they're free as well. Um, and we've really lived out that initial vision very, very well. Um, there's obviously the business has done very well and continues to grow and there's lots of success on that side of things. But, but what it's enabled for our personal lives is clearly the biggest win. Uh, it's wonderful. Biggest, yeah, biggest failure is a harder one. Um, look, I think, we, you know, Paper Forms our first business and especially growing teams. It's something that we've really had to learn on the go. And I think we've made probably lots of small mistakes over the years around hiring the, ro- the wrong person for the wrong role, not being clear with expectations, really just figuring out how to manage people well. That would probably be where our biggest failures would be as an organization, but nothing so critical or that you can put your finger out and say that right there is a is our biggest failure. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. I mean, hopefully it stays that way as long as long as possible. Uh, I feel like you're doing such a great job. I mean, Paperform is a beautiful product. And by talking to you about the culture that you're building, it really speaks to, to me and what we're doing at SaaS Group as well. Uh, really great values. So thank you for uh, telling this story. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, well, I'm excited to see what other products you're going to put out there. So I will stay in touch. We'll creep around your your and Dioni's um, <laughs> LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, all the best with that and happy to do it again sometime. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dean. And take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.